0: I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian.
1: I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And
0: you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Welcome, everybody, to the 15th snack-sized episode of IntroVets podcast. We're here today again with fan favorite Dana Hampson, a licensed professional counselor, And we're going to pick up with where we left off last week. This is part two of two, so if you haven't heard the first part, uh, run over and check out the first part as well. We're going to get started by presenting some situations and have Dana tell us about her thoughts, uh, how the situations could have been handled better, and how to cope with them a little bit better. And some of the things that we're going to talk about might technically involve legal situations, and it's not our intention to provide legal advice. For some sorts of situations, you would need to consult your state practice act or whatever rules govern veterinary practice in your area. And you might even need to consult a lawyer. So don't use our podcast as legal advice. (laughs) So the next situation that we're going to talk about is this. Mia has a surgery patient. She needs to run anesthesia on tomorrow, and she's not feeling 100% confident. It's an invasive surgery on a type of animal that she hasn't had much experience with. She read over her books and recent CE courses on this type of patient and came up with a plan. When showing the plan to the doctor for approval, she was told that she was making a big deal out of it for no reason. The doctor then gave her a plan that is contraindicated in some of the notes from her CE classes. Mia tries to talk with the doctor in a respectful way about how she feels and gets shut down. She ends up proceeding with the doctor's plan, and while the outcome is fine, and I'm assuming that means that the patient recovered uneventfully and did well, (laughs) Mia still feels very upset by how she was treated. Mia initially plans to bring the situation up to Karen, the office manager, but she has since learned that Karen agrees with the doctor and says that if there was really a problem with the doctor's plan, there would have been an issue, like a complication, during the patient's surgery. Now Mia feels overly anxious about every procedure she's a part of and questions herself and her judgment.
2: Okay, well, so this one has several issues that I think are worth considering. From a therapist standpoint, if I were working with Mia and we were talking about what had happened um, with this situation, I would want to make sure when she says that she felt like she got shut down, what does that mean? So, you know i sometimes try to play devil's advocate a little bit and someone can say you know i completely got shut down um and really what happened was the person disagreed with them and maybe overruled them but not necessarily in a i think you're an idiot kind of thing so you know it could very well be and i certainly have worked with my share of doctors who made it very clear that my lowly masters degree was nowhere near as important, made me far less important as an employee as them because they uh, were doctors. So I, I, I understand that feeling of getting shut down because that's actually happened in my career in the past. But with this, I would want to just be sure that's, you know, what was it that happened? And so if she did, in fact, find herself being treated disrespectfully, then we would want to talk about, you know, what do you do next? So I think it's a good idea for her still to talk to Karen, even though she's heard that Karen agrees with the doctor. That's another thing I see people do a lot of times is once they hear something through the grapevine, it now becomes a fact and then people won't proceed and advocate for themselves. So feeling like she still can go and have a conversation about that would be important. The, the big error from a clinical standpoint is at the end, where she now, because of what happened in this situation, feels like she can't do anything right. So that she's overly anxious about everything she's going to do. She's really questioning herself. So despite the fact that she felt confident because the doctor uh, disagreed with her and perhaps was disrespectful to her, she now really doubts herself. So That's where the work would need to happen from a therapeutic standpoint is knowing that you did the best you could to be informed. You did the best you could to advocate for this patient. um, You did the right thing and not applying what happened in this one situation to every situation so that she can, you know, look at procedures after this more clearly and more objectively in terms of what her skill level is. But then ultimately, you know, you've got a, you might have a culture problem. So if you, if she's working at a clinic where what technicians or other employees have to say is treated with disrespect and disregard, if that's a general practice, uh, Mia may have a bigger problem on her hands. I like to think that All employers are interested in their employees' ideas and treat their employees with respect. But I know that that unfortunately is not the norm in a lot of places, even outside veterinary medicine. So, you know, if this is something she notices is a pretty repetitive problem, Mia may need to make a decision about whether this is where she needs to work. Because simply because she's not a doctor doesn't mean she doesn't have valuable um, skills and clinical information to share that should be at least considered respectfully.
0: JJ, what what are your thoughts? Um, you know, Mia is, sounds like is a, a support staff member. I'm not sure if she's a licensed tech or, uh, or an assistant, um, but I'm assuming if she's uh, coming up with an anesthetic plan that she's a licensed or, or credentialed technician. What are your thoughts about this situation?
1: For me personally, I really do prefer whenever there's going to be an anesthetic procedure like this to be able to discuss it with a doctor beforehand, kind of come up with a plan and say, okay, you know, here's maybe what I learned about anesthesia for this particular patient. You know, what changes do I need to make? What do you recommend? And then also how can we troubleshoot? Because Mia hasn't had a lot of experience with this particular species. Perhaps she wants to get more information about what the doctor feels like. Okay. I know for this particular animal, A, B, and C can go wrong. Here's how I want you to and you know, help fix the problem while I'm doing the surgery. That helps my anxiety tremendously. And it goes a long way as far as letting the technician feel like they're valued and respected by the doctor. Makes them feel like they're part of a team. I mean, it sounded to me like kind of like this tech may have been given the task of coming up with a plan. And then it was almost like setting her up for failure. Because you're like, hey, come up with this plan. And then when she presents it, when it's time to do the procedure, um, it's sort of dismissed and made her feel maybe a little ridiculed. And I feel like it was a missed opportunity, maybe for a teaching moment. You know, if the doctor felt like, you know, her plan was not adequate, instead of just dismissing it and said, we're doing it my way and not really explaining why, she's not going to learn anything from that. Her confidence is going to take a hit. And I mean, I know how I would feel in that situation. I would definitely be a little anxious about even coming up with a plan in the future because I'm like, okay, I felt like I went above and beyond to try to come up with this. And all of a sudden I'm just like, oh, you're, nah, we'll do it this way. It'll be fine. And I, I would feel in future events, especially Working with that particular team, I would feel very inadequate and like, you know, my thoughts or my education or anything like that didn't count as much. So I kind of feel like ah, uh, you know there was missed opportunities there for, you know, a beautiful moment of learning together <laughs> instead of making this one particular person feel like they're they don't matter and that their um their education doesn't matter.
0: I definitely agree that. Coming together and formulating an anesthetic plan ahead of time is a a great idea. It makes me feel better as the surgeon, knowing, hey, we've talked about this, and I know that if we run into issues, we've already addressed kind of our go to plan. And then the technician can just say, hey, we're seeing that thing. Do you want me to go with plan A? And I can just be like, yes, or nope, change the plan. You know, I would say that we need to go back to our anesthesia episode and remember what Dr. Love said. The drugs. And the substances that we use to induce anesthesia and maintain anesthesia don't matter as much as the supportive care. So Dr. Love's main message was monitoring and supportive care are much more important than the drug choices. Everyone gets hung up on drug choices. This case, you know, it sounds like it might be some sort of an exotic pet, right? Um, That's kind of what it sounds like. Um... And especially for exotics, um, m- monitoring and supportive care are still like ultra important. You got to get that patient warm, keep it fluid supported, keep its blood pressure up, you know. Um, so what I what I would encourage Mia to remember is that the actual drugs that we use are probably not that big of a deal. but her role is ultra important, which is keeping the patient supported. And that it's okay for two people, you know, who are both highly educated on a subject to have a disagreement. It's different if you have one really educated person and one like uh, wacko over here with like a conspiracy theory or something. Okay, that's different. But we're talking about uh, a veterinarian and a technician who both take their job seriously and have worked really hard to educate themselves. And sometimes when you do that, you still end up disagreeing with people. And that doesn't mean that you don't respect the person that you might disagree with. So um it makes me wonder, was the veterinarian super out of line in how she talked to Mia about the situation? Or is Mia a highly um sensitive person as far as being able to to be told no about things or, you know, is, is Mia kind of taking this so the vet disagreed with me and and maybe making it way worse in her mind than it is i don't know that mia should talk to the office manager though i think that she should broach the subject with the veterinarian again what do you think dana
2: i i'm generally a supporter of going straight to the person you have the issue with i think it would depend on Mia's confidence level um you know, if I were working with her as her therapist, I might even role play with her. How could you approach the doctor? How could you bring this up? So whether it's I have a problem with how you talk to me or I have a I have a concern about how this went down, um, I'd certainly think going straight to the person with the issue is the best course. But if she were uncomfortable and she felt like, you know, a better place to start would be with the office manager, I, I don't think that's a... A bad idea, I don't know that it's the the best solution, so that's a good point, Lauren and I would add too that I think your point about you know is and, and I mentioned it too is Mia sensitive um you know because when we already are you know if someone deals with anxiety, um they already tend to overthink and worry um more than probably the average person does, so she were already feeling a little bit insecure about this. Any kind of feedback can come through, you know, we have sort of this cognitive filter, the way we receive information. So if her filter was already one of looking for almost confirmation bias, I'm looking for something that says I'm terrible at this, or I knew it was going to be awful, or I I knew I was uninformed, then even someone being very appropriate with their feedback, um, it, it could be received in a way that feels... Um, condescending or hurtful and so you know I would never want Mia to feel like her experience wasn't valid and that I you know I certainly would never suggest Oh, I think you're probably being sensitive because it could very well have been this doctor was being an asshole I mean that's uh, that certainly happens right um but
0: (laughs) oh yeah sometimes we're drunk but I would want to
2: kind of see if we could look at the situation and determine whether her you know because she was feeling maybe a little insecure about this did Did that cause her to um, receive the information in a way that might be off kilter a little bit?
0: You know, at at the end of the day, when I was thinking about this case, where I sort of landed with it was if we're having a major disagreement about the the types of drugs to use, I do think that in this type of thing, it comes down to the veterinarian choosing, um, because Ultimately, the veterinarian has to feel comfortable enough with the plan to be able to focus on the surgery and trust that the anesthesia is going to go okay, you know, Uh, because it's very difficult to do both at one time. I would say impossible. You can't run anesthesia and do surgery at the same time. It's just not a thing. I think that we're going to, in this type of case, probably always have to go with what the veterinarian, you know, thinks if they have a very strong opinion about it you know because it's their license really on the line if if something goes wrong and so then they have to kind of be behind the plan if something is happening that makes you feel very uncomfortable about that plan as a technician then you know you can always decline to be the person that participates with it you know you could always say you know i i've i've heard you and i i respect your opinion it just makes me too nervous and so i would ask that someone else get assigned to anesthesia for this case because I worry about my ability to, you know, to, to do a good job here, or maybe can we be on a team with someone who's used this type of protocol before and has more experience with it and then that way I can learn, but it's not also I don't feel like it's all the pressure on me to get everything right about how to respond should we encounter a worst case scenario. Um sometimes being really open and kind of vulnerable with with the veterinarian might help the veterinarian see that you're not, you know, maybe trying to be kind of like, meh, you know, I I know everything about anesthesia." You know, like that kind of a thing. It, it sometimes veterinarians are um insecure and uh sometimes veterinarians, I would say especially when they're young veterinarians, but some, hey, sometimes older ones too will get really upset about the idea of someone like trying to undermine their authority and so um even if that's not the the plan so um I think having a conversation with the veterinarian again f- from my standpoint as a vet if someone came up to me and said hey you know I know we had this disagreement or earlier and I am feeling a little like kind of icky about it and I just wanted to to continue to talk about it some more um you know I I know everybody's not me, but I would be like super open to having that conversation. And, um, you know, I think we could kind of come away with maybe a better understanding. Uh, also as someone with anxiety, sometimes the things that I worry about the most, um, what I found is if I just go to that person, they'd be like, Hey, I said this thing four days ago, you know, or whatever the situation is, (laughs) I'm, the story I'm telling myself is that you hate me and never want to talk to me again. Can you just go ahead and tell me how you really feel about that? And usually they're like, what? No. And I'm like, cool, thank you. I mean, I do it with um, with Carl all the time. I'll just kind of look over at him and say, like, I didn't cook tonight and we ordered in. Do you think that I am, like, super lazy and miserable person? And he'll be like, no. And I'm like awesome and we'll just go back to watching television or whatever um so anyway sometimes just asking like it's a sometimes it just cutting straight to the to the point if you have that type of relationship with that person is good if they don't know you very well then they might you know think you're a little
1: or you can develop a code word like monkey with bananas
0: yeah monkey with bananas <laughs> There's some clinics that I work with on a pretty routine basis in relief work and some that I only work with, you know, very occasionally. But one of the places that I work with a lot, the office manager knows that I have anxiety and she has anxiety, too. And we're kind of like on a on the same wavelength. And um, she personally hates it when people call her into an office and say, like, hey, like, we need to go to the office and have a talk.
2: There's is there, Are there people that actually like that? Like that, that welcome that, that people's office feeling. Like,
0: uh, I guess uh, people use it enough that you would. Uh, I'm telling you. I don't know, but <laughs> I, are, I also hate The
2: non-anxious people, I could speak for us and say, uh, hell no, nobody likes that <laughs> feeling. No, no, no,
0: you don't like it either. <laughs> so anyway, we came up with a code word a long time ago, like a code phrase or a, a photo. So it's like a monkey holding bananas and, So she'll send me the photo and that means we need to talk, but please don't freak out, (laughs) you know, and same thing. So um, I had uh, one of my cats was sick. And so I did some things at that clinic on my cat and she was going to bill me. So then it didn't happen though for several months, you know how it is. So when I finally got a a letter from them in the mail, I immediately started having like a panic feeling and I turned the envelope over to open it. And she had written monkey with bananas on the back. And I was like, yes, girl, (laughs) like you get me. Oh man. And so then the second time that happened, like a, you know, a year later, I had like a different type of thing with a different cat and everything. Same thing. Something comes in the mail and Carl brings it in and is like, this letter says monkey with bananas on it. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be my invoice. Like, you know, anyway, if you can develop that type of relationship where you're like, you know, everyone understands that the other person is maybe a little, you know, sensitive about stuff. Mm-hmm. then, You know, then it just makes everybody's life easier and you can just move on. I don't know. You, yeah. Not everyone wants to be at that level with their you know, (laughs) colleagues though, but but Mm
1: -hmm. I have
0: to be or else I can't, I can't deal with it. JJ, um, this is up to you whether I bring it up or not, but can I talk about lunch the other day? I figured
1: you was probably going to, yeah, go ahead.
0: Okay. So last week, Mm -hmm. yeah, last week, we recorded a podcast Mm -hmm. with Dana part one. And then the next day I happened to have a half day from work, which never happens. And JJ and I used to see each other all the time. But then the pandemic, now we work at different clinics. Like we don't see each other very often. And um, I had time and JJ was off of work. So it was like the stars aligned. So I was like in the middle of the day at the last minute, hey, like I am actually working a half day today. Do you want to meet me at our favorite place where we go eat? Because they have an outdoor patio. You know, it's really easy to socially distance there. And she was like, yep. And we set it up. And when we got there, she was like, are you going to break up with me? And I was like, JJ, I didn't know that we were dating, but no, but what? And she was like, I just feel like, you know, you're going to be like, you're off the podcast. You're doing a terrible job. Like she Aww. listed all of these things. We're not <laughs> friends anymore. And I was just like, no, what? <laughs> I just, I just want to have lunch. <laughs> like, I just want to
1: eat. It's like now for this we have lunch. to have a monkey with banana situation. <laughs>
0: That's right. So from now on, monkey with bananas text message. Monkey with bananas. Do you want to yeah, have lunch? The whole
1: today? drive to to the restaurant, my brain went on the spiral of, yeah, we haven't had lunch much lately. I wonder if this is she's got something important she wants to talk about. Oh God, what if the podcast went worse than I thought it? What if I said something stupid? What? If, um. Oh no, because she's oh she's she's gonna be mad at me. She's gonna she's gonna she's gonna. She's gonna you know our friendship is going to get dumped. I'm I'm about to get I'm about to get yep. fired from the podcast. JJ, um, we're divorced now we, <laughs>
0: forever. You and me. Yeah, done so. There,
1: there was a whole little. And by the time I parked, like I was like mentally preparing to get dumped. I was I was ready. I was, no. I was like, well, not ready, but I was just like, okay, I'm gonna bring this up because I need to find out. Oh God, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, what if you hadn't? Said anything though, and the whole lunch you were like acting bizarre and weird. Then I would have been like, "Later, what in the hell?" You know, like what? And I would have been like, "JJ, I guess just didn't really want to have lunch." To be honest,
1: (laughs) like those (laughs) uh, those type feelings that I I have about different people a lot, and I'm I've gotten pretty good at hiding it. Sometimes I can't, but sometimes I'm I'm pretty good at like. I will pretend like everything's normal. And most of the time people don't realize that in my head, I'm going, okay, this is going, okay, maybe I'm not about to get dumped. Um, And then (laughs) uh, when it's over, I'm like, I really wish I would have brought that up because I still feel insecure about it. I still feel like something bad may happen. And maybe they just like, oh, she seems lame more than usual today. So maybe today's not the day. (laughs) And then i <laughs>
0: <laughs> like they like they could tell you where it wasn't the right time to end your friendship they're gonna so now you still have that dangling mm. over your head okay <laughs> so anyway like me <laughs> several examples of how if you just come out with how you're feeling um sometimes it makes yeah. things much better
1: <laughs> oh, boy.
0: in combination with seeing a therapist <laughs> about it also it's super Indeed. important Oh, dear. Uh, Well, JJ, tell us about the next situation.
1: So next situation is about a, a technician named Kathy. And poor Kathy is about to have to go into an exam room and speak with a client that is known for belittling the staff. The doctor has given her a list of recommendations, and she has a treatment plan with the cost for those recommendations. But the last thing that she wants to do is go into this exam room. She has been stressed out to the point of nausea about it all day. She does enter the room, but doesn't get very far in her speech before she's told by the client that he never wants to hear any of these recommendations again, and to put that in his chart. He accuses Kathy of just trying to separate him from his money, and that she doesn't really give two shits about his dog. Kathy asks if he would like to speak with a doctor, and he says no. He throws a credit card at her and tells her to check him out for what we've done so far, but that if he ever hears anything about the recommended services again, she will regret it. Kathy leaves the room, has herself a little cry, and for several days after this particular exam room visit, she is super anxious about every exam room she enters. How can she prevent the before and after effects of situations like this?
2: Wow. So, what a jerk, first of all. This guy would even act like this. Um, is is this common? Would you guys say that this happens a lot, that, mm-hmm. that clients would act this Terribly? Girl, yeah. Wow. I, wow. (laughs) Uh huh. Poor Kathy. Gosh, this, um, this really sucks for her. But all right. So, my first note was if this kind of behavior is allowed. So lots of the the responses I've um, had on the questions previously is if this is a culture problem, so if this, this kind of stuff is tolerated because this person's a good client in terms of they spend a lot of money with us or they've come to see us for a long time or they're the brother of the clinic owner, whatever. Uh, but if it's the culture says you can abuse our staff, then that's a problem. Um, and so if this Mm -hmm. isn't, if this is a one-off, we got a different situation, but this guy's just an ass and he gets, he's allowed to act that way. Um, Kathy needs to go work somewhere else, but, um, I mean, I'm not an advocate for quitting your job immediately, but I am an advocate for not allowing yourself to be abused and taking, realizing you do have choices. You're, you're employable, whether you work there or not. So, you know, allowing yourself to be abused is, should be a zero, should be zero tolerance. Um, but, you know, I think she's got to remember, um, if in dealing, like just in this particular situation that this guy's behavior is not about her. He obviously is a jerk or he has a serious problem in his life and he has extreme emotional dysregulation and he's taking out whatever it is in his own life out on her. Um, but she's just doing her job. So she's not the problem. It actually isn't personal, even though it feels like it is. And he's saying things like it is, but She's doing what she's supposed to do. So him acting this way is a reflection of his own character. So I would encourage her to really kind of remember that this isn't about her. And then the last thing would be just to remind him, you know, that this is my job. Um, If the doctor wants me to make recommendations, I'm going to make recommendations. It is not up to me to decide what to tell you or what you can afford or what I think you should do. My job is to say, here's what the doctor said. So if you have a problem with that, you probably are going to need to talk to the office manager or to the doctor, him or herself. Um, But I I, I won't not do this. If you come back again and I'm the person that's working with you, I'm going to tell you exactly what the doctor said. Because not doing that gets me in trouble, and that's not negotiable. Because, you know, I think at the end of the day, a lot of what I, I think I talked about the last time with you guys um, is, you know, is being able to feel confident and assertive. And, and I know that's really hard for people that struggle with anxiety to feel good enough about or, or even feel really good about what they do, what they have to offer, what their role is. To feel confident about that, and to be able to communicate c- communicate that in a way that basically says, in a very matter of fact way, that this is th- this is what I'm going to be doing, really, whether you like it or not. And it's not threatening. It does, but it conveys I won't be intimidated by you. And I, I I've seen so many people over the years that they the way they present information, whether it's through their tone or their body language or the words that they use. Allow someone who has learned to act like a bully, keep acting like a bully. So they know that I, I I can act like this with you because you were intimidated by me. And acting intimidated fuels the fire of intimidating people. Um, So I would encourage her to be able to go in and be matter of fact and not cry, not... um not make eye contact with him. I mean, make sure she did make eye contact, make sure that she used a firm tone of voice, that she just was very matter of fact. And if she's not taking it personally, that's easier to do. But if it feels like he's attacking me, he's doing this to me, he thinks I am X, Y, and Z, then it's really hard to be matter of fact. Because, you know, you feel personally attacked, it's really hard to feel, you know, like you can be straightforward and assertive. So, You know, um, I would hope that I, you know, if I were working with her, that I could help her learn to be able to go in. And I'm not afraid of you. I don't have anything to prove to you. I'm just doing my job. So here's the info. Have a great day.
1: Yeah, it's definitely hard sometimes to not take it. Yeah. Especially, you know, you go in there, you're like, no, this is going to happen. And then, like you said earlier, yep, exactly what was going to happen, happened. Okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, what I wrote down about this was, um, why are we keeping this client? Mm -hmm. This client sucks. Like, I don't care if he donated a million damn dollars to the hospital and bought a new wing. Doesn't sound like that's what happened, but I don't care if it was. This guy is not allowed to buy the right to abuse your staff. And for me, it's as cut and dried as that. The management has to step in and protect the staff. Um, we, we take people who care a lot, who work their butts off, who work extra hours, who do grueling work for low pay and almost no benefits that already sucks pretty bad. But then we also are going to try to ask them to go in and be emotionally and verbally abused by clients. No, 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 no. That's not okay. So we need to step in and get this client out of there. It's just not acceptable. Also, the client-patient relationship in veterinary medicine is broken, doesn't exist anymore when there's not trust. And the client is saying, I don't trust you to make recommendations that are in the best interest of my pet. Okay, well then that means that we're not your veterinarian anymore. I mean, that's literally a legal definition of breaking the the client-patient relationship. So Why would you keep a client who doesn't trust your recommendations? That's just like a recipe for miscommunication and a board complaint. Now, probably this guy, if you said to him, you know, if you called him out on it and said, what I hear you saying is that you don't trust our recommendations, that's unfortunately a deal breaker for us. And so we are going to have to ask that you find another veterinary hospital Nine times out of ten, this dude is like, uh, 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 fine, and leaves, and his wife calls back, and his wife is like, I'm so sorry, he'll never act that way again, he just gets upset, I mean, I see it time after time after time, like, you know, like, we can't, we can't allow people to come in here and act this way, come on, this is ridiculous, you're a grown man, like, no, you're not gonna, mm mm-mm, um, and I don't blame the staff member for being hesitant to go into this type of situation. The fact that she had such bad anxiety leading up to even having to go in at all tells me like this ain't the first time it's happened and probably not the first time it's happened with this client. Like, come on. Like, no, uh, mm-mm. yeah, <laughs> I'm getting too yeah. old for this. <laughs> like, That's true. But, uh, dealing with the public is hard. I think there's a reason that, you know, like all DMV people, employees, and like all college administration employees are kind of on the same spectrum of I do not give a shit anymore because they have to deal with the public all the time, you know, Um, but in a service industry like veterinary medicine, we're not allowed to develop that attitude, you know, if you got to have to have a driver's license, so you can be on the DMVs time, but, (laughs) but there are ways to deal with this that don't involve tolerating Stupid behavior. Certainly, I think um, it makes all the world a difference when you know that the owner of the clinic and or the office manager, or whoever is the next person in line, is going to have your back about an issue. Because if you don't feel confident in that, then there's absolutely no way that you can deal with this situation emotionally. I mean, because you feel trapped, like you're on one side you're getting yelled at and told that you suck, and then on the other side, you feel like if I stand up for myself, then this person is just going to get babied even more by management. And, you know, what if my job is at stake? And you start kind of spiraling on those sorts of things. And I would argue, like, you you can have this conversation with the owner one time. And any more than one time, management needs to be dealing with him forever. And if they don't want to have to deal with that, then that means you need to Mm -hmm. fire the client. Because, like... You know, if you as a manager are like, oh, this guy, just think about how much the staff is like, oh, mm-hmm. this guy, you know, oh, you know, 100%. like, <laughs> I don't think the answer to that uh, equation there is pawning it off on someone who doesn't have as much ability to stand up for themselves as you do. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Protect your staff. <laughs> for the love.
0: Especially right now. I mean, what I think what this year has taught us is, and hopefully everybody has learned this lesson, is that staff is super duper valuable. And, like, we got to start protecting them or else they're not going to be any anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, like, we ask them to to work a really difficult job. We don't pay them that great. Like, at some point, the other shoes got to drop and uh, we got to make life easier for them somehow.
1: All right, G, tell us about Dr. Martin.
0: Dr. Martin is on call this weekend, and an employee has just called to inform him that a pet at his practice passed away overnight. This is very unexpected. The pet is only three years old and has been healthy. The pet's owner is very attached and was very reluctant to leave it. This was the first time the pet boarded anywhere, and the owner sought out his reassurance that the pet would be okay during its stay. He feels terrible about the whole situation and is fearful of the phone call he has to make.
2: Ah, uh, this is a sad situation. Um gosh, it's tough for the doctor and for the pet owner. I feel sad for both of them. Um I would imagine, um, just like therapists, we can't we really can't promise any kind of outcome. So hopefully Dr. Martin, in his reassurance, didn't promise that the pet was going to be okay. That certainly makes it a little more complicated. Um, But you know, saying we're going to do our very best to take good care of your pet, or I'm sure your pet will be all right. You know, or I uh, imagine are things that are probably typically said, and you know that c- could make him feel bad. I guess in terms of you know, I told this owner that the pet was going to be okay, and it wasn't. But you know, at the end of the day, Doctor Martin realizing that there's just a lot of factors that go into play in terms of you know a pet making it through. You know, I guess lots of things can happen even with boarding or certainly with different procedures that happen and, you know, things can go south pretty quick. So, you know, just recognizing that, you know, he did the best he could. Um, But I would say probably the most important thing is he just needs to not avoid this phone call. You know, our our tendency when we feel worried about something or anxious about something is to put it off. So anxious folks especially can be masterful procrastinators. Um, because it's, but interesting thing is as you (laughs) hands go up in the air, um, is that we put things off, but the putting it off actually makes the anxiety worse because the more we have to think about it, the more we can catastrophize potential outcomes and really work ourselves into a frenzy. And interestingly enough, kind of like JJ was describing with lunch with Lauren, what she found out when she asked the question was, absolutely nothing was wrong. So in this case, that's not going to be what's going to happen. It's a likely scenario that the owner is going to be upset. Is the owner going to lash out at Dr. Martin? Possibly. Um, Did Dr. Martin do anything wrong? According to this, it doesn't look like it. So he can, you know, being able to empathize and say, um, you know, express a lot of empathy, just listen, let the let the pet owner um, cry or rage or do whatever they need to do on the phone, um, all the while remembering in the back of his head is that this is not my fault. And this person's response is, is perfectly normal, given that not only did they lose their pet, it was completely unexpected. So there wasn't any preparation for it. It wasn't like this is an old pet that they kind of thought might not make it. This 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 actually makes grief more complicated when you lose um, something that you love and you didn't have any time at all to wrap your head around that you might. Um, so you've got the shock factor on top of the sadness, um, which makes it extra hard. So you know, Dr. Martin being able to just sit with that discomfort, you know, the listening to this person's struggle, um, and but just going ahead and doing it is going to ultimately make it better for him. That would be my advice to him: is just Take a deep breath and get on the phone and just listen. Tell the tell the owner what you need to tell them and then just stop and just sit there with them. And as long as they need, as long as you can, um, because putting it off is just going to make it worse.
0: Uh, Dana, I 100% agree with all of that. This type of thing sucks sure. pretty bad, but. I mean, sometimes it happens. You know, I've been practicing for like 12 years now, and I've worked at some places that have, a, you know, a high volume of boarding, uh, some places that don't board at all. But when you're working for a place that does boarding, eventually this is going to happen. Um, And just off the top of my head, some situations that I can think of where a pet has either passed away or become really sick while boarding, where there was not really a prior, like, any prior idea that that could happen. Um, I've had this happen with two different dogs uh, who ended up with ruptured hemangiosarcoma of the spleen uh, while boarding. So they had a tumor sitting there, no one knew about it, and then it ruptured and um, then they died, uh, you know, while, while boarding. I've had a dog, um, at least one, go into dka and no one knew it was diabetic but it it went into diabetic ketoacidosis and was then diagnosed and and treated but that was a difficult call to make um i've seen dogs and cats you know die or get very ill for a variety of reasons and i think part of it is that just like dogs and cats are really good cats especially at being like (laughs) i'm fine even though they're super not fine like they are sick and they can just be like, nah, I'm solid. Like, I'm I'm cool. Don't worry. Don't look at me. So they're really just good at disguising, you know, when they're sick. But Dana's right. The client is going to be upset and shocked. There's no way around that. Of course, they're going to be. And you got to make that phone call and you can't put it off. Just pick up the phone and do it. I think ideally in a perfect world, this is something that the business owner needs to handle or the office manager uh it sounds like Dr. Martin might be the business owner, but um if he's not, then I for sure <laughs> you need to call, you know, like even if Dr. Martin is the only doctor on call and usually you don't call the other owner or whatever, like you, uh the owner of the clinic, <laughs> you need to call the owner of the hospital first and be like, "Yo, this happened." Um and then most of the t- I mean, they should really handle it. Okay. But like, unless you have like a special relationship with this owner or something, a uh, pet owner. Um, but it does seem like these types of things only happen when you're an associate vet on call and management is completely unreachable. Mm. That's been my experience That's so far. <laughs> so, like, you just have to bite the bullet and do it. And hopefully, you have some sort of standing like policy or procedure for this type of thing Uh, you know in case of an emergency here's what we're going to do here's what we're going to offer the client you know blah 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 um so that you're not running around trying to arrange things trying to figure it out having to kind of like hedge and not sure what the owner is going to okay like you know not sure what the boss is going to okay but my recommendation would be pick up the phone call communicate facts. Don't speculate. Be empathetic. Owners are going to want to know what happened. You're going to have to say, I don't know, if you really don't know. Offer a necropsy, which is like the animal version of an autopsy, and tell them that the hospital is going to pay for the necropsy. That That's really what should happen in this situation, because you aren't going to know what happened without a necropsy and it really needs to be conducted by an independent third party and that's expensive and the hospital should really cover that uh so those are my thoughts (laughs) um and then you just are going to have to like prepare yourself like the owner might yell at you might berate you on the phone like it's just them being upset this isn't personal hang in there and then you know end the phone call hopefully with some sort of display of empathy
2: and i would add you know i guess in an extreme example you know i I could see this happening in veterinary medicine i know it can happen in the counseling world is that the person is so distraught that they start to make threats um so might threaten legal Mm, action um to write terrible reviews online um you know to uh, have them inv- have the practice investigated and so i w- would imagine um you know good practice there would be just to listen um to you know depending on who's calling them you know have the you know if it's the the practice manager you know just really kind of giving them some space to say those things but in recognizing that the odds are pretty low that that's going to happen um, but knowing that you didn't do anything wrong, you don't have really have anything super to worry about. I think the not getting defensive and not trying to talk them out of anything would also be important. just l- recognizing that that is likely a part of just the just being upset and when people are upset, they say all manner of things, so it's I would call it don't take the i would say it's don't take the bait so. Don't jump on those things because it freaks you out. Um, Just recognize that this person just heard some terrible news. And when people hear terrible news they're not expecting, they often say stuff they don't mean. So just kind of expect that that's probably going to blow over, too. And don't let that turn into something because of your uh, your own defensiveness when you hear it.
0: So then I think afterward, you just have to kind of do some sort of stress relieving activity <laughs> <laughs> like you're i feel weird about like recommending you have go have a glass of wine or something like we you know but but that's what i would do i would go home and be like margaritas Whew. and nachos probably that's right it's a um, local taco <laughs> night jj we we're gonna have to have a taco night and we go out and have a pitcher of margaritas <laughs> you know like i'm not saying that's a healthy way to deal with it but it's like what it required.
2: Well, and you know, in addition to margaritas and tacos, it's probably important for that person to spend some time just being compassionate to themselves, you know, because any dis- you know disposition towards anxiety is going to make you tend to want to recap it a million times in your head, really question whether you did the right thing. Um, could you possibly have actually made a mistake? Is it really the way you remembered it? All of that stuff. And so I think it's saying you know wow this was really hard for me this that was that was really difficult i am you know i'm proud of myself for getting through that you know just some very compassionate self talk that kind of acknowledges that that was just really hard you know i don't i don't know that that i don't know if you guys get special training for dealing with this this kind of thing but you know most <laughs> fields don't these worst case scenarios most people do feel like they're sort of out in left field trying to figure it out in the moment and every situation's probably different because each owner responds differently. So, you know, being able to just kind of say, wow, that was, that was really hard. And I am kind of just giving myself a little bit of love for, I, I, I'm proud of myself that I got through it, you know, goes a long ways towards doing some self-healing so that I don't carry this with me the whole rest of the week or the rest of the month. And it clouds all the rest of my interactions, you know, it could, be this spillover effect if I'm not if I don't take care of myself after something like this happens.
0: All right, guys. Well, that's all the time we have for today's episode. Um, so we're going to wrap it up there. But hopefully Dana will be joining us next season on season two of IntroVets podcast. This is the last episode of this season. We're going to take a couple month break here to get through the holidays and and then come back at you early next year, 2021, with some more awesome content. And we hope you guys stick around. Hopefully it'll
1: be a much better year.
0: <laughs> I agree. I'm having high hopes for 2021. <laughs> In the meantime, if you have stories, submissions, if you have cases, if you have questions or situations to send to us for our Dear introverts column... You can reach us at introvetspodcast at gmail.com.
1: And you can find us on uh, Facebook and Instagram at introvets.
0: Let us know. Uh, We're starting to think about doing some merchandise and different things like that. Uh, If you'd be interested in t-shirts and things like that, drop us a line and let us know. We're going to be looking at getting those things together and so go ahead and follow us on social media and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you can see season two when it comes out Yes, please and we'll see you next time bye, bye.